Uncorked. I'm your host, Miranda Rennie. On OT Uncorked, we uncork hot topics in occupational therapy and a bottle of wine. This episode is the third in a mini-series we're calling Passion Meets Paycheck, and it's all about helping you feel prepared to find the right OT job for you. I interview therapists who have recently started jobs about their process from graduation day to their first day at work. We cover a range of settings and experience, and in this episode, we talk with Amanda Wiles, a pediatric therapist and blogger who offers advice you can apply today to your job search and interview process. You'll hear more about her blog, Devoted OT, and ways to access more of her helpful tips and tricks to navigating the confusing post-graduation life. My name is Amanda Wiles. I am a pediatric occupational therapist. I've been working in the field for about a year now. Um, so I recently graduated. What actually got you into the field of occupational therapy? Um, so going into college, I really always thought I wanted to be an elementary school teacher. Um, right before college, that was my major going in. It really wasn't until that last month before I went to school that I changed to occupational therapy. I just started looking more into jobs that could put me in a school setting besides being a teacher. I you know, was interested in the pediatric side, the children's side of things. So I was just looking, you know, what in the school could I do that's not a teacher, just out of curiosity. Um, and then after I discovered occupational therapy, soon after that, my mother had an occupational therapist for hand therapy. So I was exposed to a completely different side of occupational therapy that I had never heard of. And at that point, I really realized how diverse OT was, which is what drew me in so much in the first place. I went into it knowing I wanted to work with kids, but the diversity really excited me. Um, so that's really kind of what ended up making me change my mind a month before going to college. Wow, that's a last minute decision. Yeah, it definitely was. I was surprised myself and it fortunately worked out that the school that I had applied to happened to have an OT program. So that was that was wonderful. And that's actually how you and I met was through OT school. So I'm also really glad you made that choice. <laughs> yes, me too. We are very good friends now, which is a blessing. <laughs> <laughs> so it sounds like you kind of always knew you wanted to be a pediatric there. Well, when you became an OT, started going through that process, you knew you wanted to be a pediatric therapist, right? You always wanted to work with kids. Was there any point during school that you kind of questioned that because of the diversity in our field and thought, maybe I want to do something different? Yeah. So when I think back to that, there are really two points where I, in my mind, I really thought that I wasn't going to work with kids. Um, I, during, it's actually funny, during my pediatric semester of school is when I thought initially, maybe I don't want to do this. Um, the coursework, it's not that there was anything specific in the coursework. It just is very different learning about it in class than in the field. So just, I guess, the different things we were learning about didn't engage me as much as the maybe physical dysfunction conditions we were learning about and that sort of thing. And then when I did my first field work rotation, it was in an acute care hospital working with adults. And when I was there, it was my first, you know, time working as an OT. So for me, it was exciting. And I was like, maybe I could see myself doing this end of OT. And 
I think it's because it was my first experience, you know, working as an OT that it just drew me in right away. Um, but then in my second fieldwork rotation, I happened to be able to work at a pediatric outpatient clinic. And once I was there is when it kind of confirmed my, you know, thought all along that I would be a pediatric OT once I saw it in practice and I got to do it for three months. So it was a little bit of a journey getting back to where I started, I guess. <laughs> well, that is the nice thing about our field is that when you have one of those kind of crises of what am I going to do next? What am I going to do when I graduate? It's really not a crisis. We just apply for a different job and prepare yourself a little more for that area. So it's not too stressful when you change your mind a couple times in school. Yeah, definitely. I think most of the people I know would probably say that they changed their mind a few times. I'm one of those. And I tend to think I'm pretty decisive. And when I stick my mind to something, I do it. But so that was really hard for me when I switched from really wanting to work mm -hmm. in pediatrics to now wanting to work with or working with an adult population. But mm -hmm. I'll tell you what, whenever my patients bring their kids into therapy, or we have a few younger patients who are technically pediatric patients, and whenever they come in, I secretly get really excited. So I didn't have to totally give it up. Yeah, you get a little bit of both, which can be nice. <laughs> so... Tell us a little bit more about the setting you're in now and how you kind of decided where you wanted to go, even within the world of pediatrics. Yeah, so I currently work at a pediatric outpatient clinic. So that's predominantly the caseload that I have inside of that setting. Um, however, my specific clinic does contract some with private schools and with Head Start preschools in cities. So I do get a little bit of mix of kind of multiple settings in one, but my predominant caseload is definitely in the outpatient pediatric clinic. Um, my field work also was in that pediatric outpatient setting. So applying to jobs, I applied predominantly to those settings because I knew that I was interested. Um, and then I also applied to a school system. And really, I also was drawn to that hospital pediatric setting. That's definitely something that I might want to explore later in my career still. Um, kind of merging that acute care hospital field work that I had with the pediatric field work that I had. So I'm definitely not closed off to different opportunities. Um, it just happens to be the one that, you know, worked out for me at the time and the one that I kind of wanted to grow in first. So did you end up taking a job at the same place that you did field work or was there some sort of connection that you made during field work that helped you get this job? So the place that I did my field work did not have any openings at the time that I was applying to jobs. They predominantly hired part-time employees there, and they had just a couple of full-time employees. So they weren't specifically looking for anyone um, to fill that full-time position, and that's really what I was looking for is a full-time job. Um, so specifically, I didn't know anybody at this clinic that I applied to. I applied to, I think, two clinics not knowing any of the therapists or anybody at those clinics. It was more of just something that I saw posted, a clinic that I knew existed in the area. Um, you know, my supervisor from my field work was in that field, so she was able to give me a recommendation at least. Um, being a therapist from the same setting, I think that probably helped. But I didn't know someone specifically at that location. I think for a lot of people I know, they applied to many places, even beyond places that they, you know, knew somebody. So then where did you find 
these jobs. Obviously, there's so many websites, also personal connections. And I think, you know, this mini series that we're doing is about finding that perfect mm-hmm. job. And by perfect job, it just mean the right one for the moment. Definitely. <laughs> it can be overwhelming to, to decide where do I even start applying. Mm-hmm. And if you don't have those personal connections, and like you said, you applied to places that you didn't have personal connections with. Mm-hmm. Where did you even start? Yeah, very good question. Um, I predominantly first went to the websites of specific employers I thought I would be interested in, which sometimes like those hospital settings or those school settings won't post on those general job websites. They typically keep their jobs to their own website. So I started there with places I really knew I was interested in. Unfortunately, a lot of those didn't have any openings at the time. So then I kind of branched out to that you know, those general job search websites, indeed.com, those, those, you know, general places. Um, and through that, you are at least exposed to some jobs in the area. Not all of those postings are always recent. Um, but it gives you, you know, someplace to start, which is nice. Um, it's funny that you asked, you know, where did I start with even kind of the job process or how to apply all of those kind of details. And, One thing that was really helpful for me when I first started applying was that I really just started with what I knew. I started with the settings I knew I at least had some interest in. I started with knowing the general location that I wanted my job to be in. Um, And then I branched out from there. I really applied to all of the places that fit those, those main categories for myself, location, setting, Um, commute, those sorts of big questions that you think of when you think of applying to jobs. Um, And then I just applied to as many as I could after that. A big thing as well is you see this advice kind of on the internet, and I also just personally found this to be true as well, that when you are applying to jobs, while you can apply to jobs as you find them, and that can be helpful, if you apply to as many at the same time as you can, you will have a more likely chance that those jobs get back to you around the same time, which later on in the job process when you're deciding on offers and all of that can be really helpful. If you get one offer, you know, three weeks ahead of the others, you kind of have to make some tough decisions. So now it sounds like you're speaking from personal experience and I happen to know a little bit about kind of your job process. So what was that like when you get an offer and you also want to consider other options as they come down the pike. How did you kind of approach that? Yeah. So, you know, the timeline of every company is different, which is what makes it hard. Um, I applied to most of these places within like a day to a week of each other. One place I heard back the next day, another place never got back to me at all, which is also a normal experience of people. Um, So I had the first interview that I had, I received a job offer soon after, but I had not heard from the other places yet, even though I did apply to them all within a similar time frame, which doesn't always work. Um, so I really didn't think I was going to hear back from any other company before I had to say yes or no to this job offer. Um, so for me, while I applied to this job intentionally, it was a setting that wasn't necessarily my absolute preferred setting. I would have had to move to take this job versus some other ones I may not have had to. So for me, because it wasn't my ideal setting, 
I decided even before getting anything else to just decline my first offer, um, which was stressful and scary, but I've also heard many other people have done that. Um, some people go into job search with the rule that they're not going to accept their first job at all, which wasn't necessarily a rule for me. It just happened that that job wasn't wanted at the time. Um, so I definitely wouldn't set too many strict rules for yourself, but to at least, you know, leave it open. Understand though that in the job search, it's different for everyone. And sometimes, you know, you might not have the luxury to decline a job offer. And I think that's okay too. If you take your first job offer, then, you know, you obviously applied to the place for a reason. And no matter what happens, even if you like or dislike your job, ultimately you're going to learn something. So even if it's not ideal right away or perfect when you start working there, I know many people who worked at a job for a year or so and just changed settings completely and that was okay for them. I feel like you just had so many jewels of wisdom there that I want to unpack a little bit more. And one is that idea of not taking the first job offer that you get mm -hmm. if that feels like the right decision for you. Something I heard recently was this idea that you need, to, and it's kind of what you said too, where you need to look at a job offer if you get one and kind of look at it objectively. Is this for me? Is this a yes or is this a no? And then move on from there because that fear of if I turn this down, will I get something better? Will I not get something better rather? Mm -hmm. Or if I take this tomorrow, am I going to hear back from my dream job? And that's really stressful. But I think kind of your confidence in the fact that you you knew what you wanted and when you saw that job offer, it wasn't satisfying what you kind of were looking for. And I really respect that. And I think that's really hard, especially mm -hmm. for new grads. When we are kind of starting that process of looking for jobs and and we are afraid no one's going to want to hire us because let's be <laughs> real, who doesn't have that fear? I did. It's, it's not that that decision to decline the first job is easy. You know, it was something that I waited a while to see if I would get something else before I had to. But like you said, that objectivity with, you know yourself the best out of anyone. And sometimes you just have to kind of trust that if it doesn't feel right for you, it's okay not to say yes. And again, everybody's situation is different. And sometimes life situations come into play where you can't necessarily do that. But I think sometimes there's that pressure that I have to get a job right away or my friend has only been looking for a month and they already have a job. You know, I've been looking for two months now and I'm still not finding something or I declined a job, but I've been looking for two months. I really shouldn't have done that. Um, there's a lot of pressure to look at people around you and see how it's going for them. Um, and it really is different for everybody. It's, it's been different for so many of my classmates and of my coworkers that I've heard of. It's, it's really unique to each person and that's okay. I love that. And it's so okay to <laughs> be doing your, having your own path and kind of going your own way, own way. And you're right. That, that comparison issue is huge in every aspect of life, I think, but especially when you're, so it's something so sort of nerve wracking and stressful sometimes just to realize that, Hey, we're all doing something different. And that even goes back to the idea of so much diversity in our field. Somebody mm -hmm. who wants to work in a Smith is going to have a much different job application timeline than someone maybe applying for a pediatric position. 
And for me, I knew where I was going to be working before I graduated because I ended up doing an AOTA fellowship program where just by the nature of the job, they tell you earlier about your position. Mm -hmm. And I had a, a sort of a timeline of when I knew that I would have an answer from them. And so I think that's hard when graduation comes or a month after graduation, when you're looking around and saying, well, that person knew before we graduated, this person hasn't even started to look for jobs and here I am. Mm -hmm. So I think that's just really good advice. Kind of saying, Hey, my career path is going to look different than anybody else's and it's okay to do it mm -hmm. my way. Yeah. I think it's interesting too, that you mentioned like the timeline of everything. You hear a lot of different advice about when to start looking and really kind of when you should solidify that job, when you should even start working. And that part even is different for everyone. Some people are okay working on a temporary license and they want to start their job right away. And for those people, I would say, yes, it is wise to start looking earlier because you want to start as soon as possible. But other people want to wait until, you know, three months, four months after graduation. They want to take time to maybe vacation or just take time to figure out what they want to do. And Again, as we already said, but that's okay. You know, everybody's going to be a little different. I started probably two months before graduation because I knew I wanted to start looking and start working right away. But I know people that didn't start looking until after graduation. So, And so when yeah. you started that process, you said you applied to the majority of the facilities within about a week span. Is that right? Yeah, about a week. Yep. And how many did you apply to in that time? Um, I applied to four jobs total in my search. I'm not sure, kind of, I guess, comparison-wise, how that number compares to everyone else, but for me, it was it was four different places. Once you had a few people reach out to you, what did the process look like for interviewing? So that was a little bit different for each place as well. Um, one of the places reached out to me the next day wanting to set up an interview. Another place, I had to contact myself two or three times asking and following up about scheduling that interview. So sometimes the employers are very proactive and they reach out to you right away. Sometimes it's going to take some effort on your part to keep reaching out if it's really a job that you're very interested in. Um, and then in terms of the interviews themselves, they really do look different for each, I would say, probably setting that you're in. And also even within the same setting for each employer that you're going to encounter Two of my interviews were in the same setting, and I got asked very different questions, and the employers kind of went about the interview very differently, which I hope doesn't scare anybody. That's not the point. You're going to be okay in your interviews. Worst case scenario, you'll learn something and move on. <laughs> um, but each interview really was different. Um, but the preparation that is out there to help you with your interview tips and AOTA even has some really great resources on interview answers, that sort of thing. That information was very helpful, though I recommend doing some extra preparation on your own. Um, that advice that's out there is pretty helpful and a lot of places tend to ask generally similar questions. So, Were there any questions that really surprised you? Off the top of my head, I can't think of something necessarily surprising. However, I will say something that I encountered a lot, at least in my you know pediatric outpatient interviews, was the amount of questions that were based on like case examples or kind of your experiences in clinical practice. In pediatric therapy, it's a lot of kind of, depending on the employer, looking at how play-based are your interventions, how occupation-based are they, all of that. 
But one of my biggest interview kind of tips I would say for people is to think of a lot of case examples in your head that you can ex- that you can answer various questions with um, that your employers are going to ask you. Because if you think about it, really the majority of OT, what you really want to look for in a good OT is personality and you know occupation base and how you implement interventions with your clients. So those were really the bulk of a lot of questions that I got. I would also say that this wasn't necessarily at a specific interview that I can remember. However, I did get asked if I was more detail-oriented or... Whatever the opposite of that is. <laughs> yeah, I'm, I'm blanking right now. Detail-oriented or big picture, I think, was the word that they used, um, which... I had to just pause for a little bit and take a minute to think about it, which was also okay, but it was definitely not a question that I had ever thought about. So I really, that answer was very on the spot for me in my interview. So which one are you? I think that I'm more detail oriented. You'd think I'd be faster to answer now that I've, you know, been asked that before, but yeah, I think too, even with a question like that, a lot of times when they're asking you the question, it's not necessarily about which one you pick. It's really about how you're explaining it and how you describe yourself through that answer. So even if you pick the one that's not necessarily yourself, as long as you're explaining it well, you'll be okay. (laughs) I also really appreciate the advice you gave about taking a few moments and thinking about your response. Now, I have not interviewed people for an occupational therapy position, Mm -hmm. But in other roles I've had, I have been part of interviews, and I'll tell you what, when someone takes a few moments to think about an answer, it doesn't even cross my mind at a conscious level that they're waiting to answer. It feels really Mm -hmm. natural, but whenever I've been in an interview, I feel like an eternity has passed before I actually say something, and I just want to highlight that sort of dichotomy there because... It feels like so long that you have to say something, and I'm a talker, so of course I want to say something, (laughs) but you really don't have to. You can take a few moments, or you can say something like, you know, I'd really like to think about that one. That's a good question. You you can say something as filler, and then just pause. So I appreciate the advice. (laughs) Yeah, I've only had that from the interviewee perspective, where it feels like an eternity, and it's... I've used that many times. The That was a good question. And then you kind of just pause and think about that great question that they just asked you. And it's great because then you don't have a foot and mouth moment where you say something really quickly and you come up with a great answer five seconds later, but it's too late. So take those five seconds. Allow yourself to think. I almost think that even tells something more about a person that they're thoughtful. Mm-hmm. maybe I'm stretching it, but I kind of think it could show something good about you. So really own it if you need to take a moment. You know, another big thing when you're interviewing is trying to be comfortable as you can. They're always stressful and you never quite feel completely relaxed. At least I don't. Um, but if you're, if you are comfortable, it's going to feel more casual. Your real personality is going to come out and your personality, your caring, oh, that's not your thoughtfulness, your kindness towards others, all of that is going to come out as you're talking. Um, and if you're taking a moment to be thoughtful, if you're really thinking about things, you, it shows that you're more relaxed and employers really do pick up on that. If you're quick to respond to everything, it kind of almost shows a little bit of nervousness, 
which isn't wrong, but if you can be more relaxed, it's definitely going to help that rapport with your interviewer. Absolutely. And almost, it can sound scripted as if you've rehearsed these questions and thought deeply about what they want you to say and what you're going to say. I've definitely heard that from an interviewer perspective. I've helped interview for some OT school positions and sometimes they dive right in with an answer and it's kind of like weirdly deep. Not that answers can't be deep, but it's so quick that the depth of the answer and the time in which they took to get to the depth, it just are incongruent and it can kind of come off as a little surprising. So I think the message here is, kind of be yourself and do what you need to do to get through the interview to be authentically yourself, right? Yeah, I would definitely agree. Being yourself, that's going to shine more than probably anything you say. I mean, they're very interested in what you're saying, but when they're, you know, seeing the real you and seeing your personality, that's what really, one of the big things that really makes a good employee, so. And a good OT, because if you think about it, how many times have you had, in your case, a parent or for me, just an adult, you know, client who just you really have a good rapport with and what you're doing intervention wise maybe is the standard of care anywhere but they think you are the best therapist ever and it's it's not necessarily because the intervention you're doing sure we're being evidence-based occupation-based all that good stuff that other people are hopefully doing as well but they they just think you're the best because you're being you Mm -hmm. (laughs) our clients want that maybe our employers do too yeah i i would agree that they do (laughs) is there something that you would change about the way you approached job searching, if you could go back and do it all over again, which I know you don't want to do all over again. <laughs> I definitely do not. While the job process, it works out. It it definitely is stressful. And, you know, we both know we've been through it. It, it is stressful, but it will be okay. Um, but it's not to say that there's no anxiety in it and there's no stress and, you know, that is definitely still there. I would say maybe attempting to negotiate a little more than I did. Um, I was balancing two offers at one time, and one really stuck out as better. And the other employer did try to negotiate with me a little bit, and so I was a little bit involved in that process. But with the employer that I ended up accepting a job with, There wasn't really a lot of negotiating salary or maybe even just CEU money, that sort of thing. Um, Now that I work for the company, I see that even if I tried to negotiate, I think that for this company, they don't really negotiate those things because they start everyone the same. However, it's not to say that you shouldn't try because I think there are many companies out there that will negotiate certain things with employees. And as new graduates, it's really uncomfortable to try to do that. And there's also so much to negotiate because you can negotiate your compensation, which is a kind of an umbrella term. If, if we're addressing new grads here, let's talk about there's like vacation benefits, health benefits, hours, what hours you're going to work. That's a huge piece of the puzzle, right? Of course, there's salary, um, CEU benefits, like you said. Mm-hmm. Yeah, there are definitely a lot more things to consider than you realize when you're in school and when you're a new graduate. You probably hear certain things from parents or maybe older siblings kind of about the work world and the workforce, and hopefully you've been able to talk to 
some professors or some mentors that you know to get some advice. Um, but there really is so much more to it than we realize going into the job search. And it's funny, even as someone who's been through the job search, you mentioned negotiating hours, which is something that I did, but I already forgot that that was something that you could do. So there, there's a lot more to it than you initially think. And even if you're uncomfortable negotiating salary or if the employer won't budge on that area, there really are some things that you can try to work out. And also if you have a couple job offers, you can, you know, try to negotiate a little bit one way or the other because, you know, you have another job offer on the table. Your, the other employer probably kind of knows that a little bit and hopefully they can kind of compensate you a little more and negotiate with you a little more to get you over that other company, hopefully. Yeah, there's a lot to consider and it's nice to have a few offers to kind of bounce back and forth with, but even if you don't, just being honest with your employer, hey, here's what I need to have mm-hmm. kind of satisfaction with this arrangement, with this job. I really need these mm-hmm. things. I feel like people are more flexible than we give them credit for. Yeah, definitely. Even now, I'm not the type of person that wants to negotiate or the type of person that wants to – it's not even conflict, but it's just that type of situation makes me uncomfortable as a person. Um, but I think you're right. I think it was a really good point that – People are more flexible than we realize, and they are searching for someone for their position. So they have a need, and they're trying to fill that. Sometimes going to the job search thinking that the employer is doing us a favor by interviewing us and hiring us, but at least in my experience, a couple of the places that I applied to really had a need, and they wanted me there just as much as I wanted a job. So we have a little more leverage than we think. Yeah. That's a really good point. I think we can easily kind of put ourselves in that role of feeling like anybody who interviews us, you know, we're their charity case, but they really do want their job filled. That's why they put out the post and why we apply. It's how the world works. But coming out of school, I think that can be hard to grasp. The other thing is that our employers might also be, you know, they might also have family that's important to them, that they need vacation time to go visit. They might also have kids. They might... I don't know anything about us that we think we need to negotiate because, you know, Hey, we want more time off to spend with family or we need hours that are maybe earlier in the day because there's a spouse to come home to that you kind of want to spend more than 30 minutes with. Right. I feel like everybody that we work for, they're human and they also have things that are important to them in a job. And I think just honesty about your situation can go a long way. Right. I think that sometimes when we're applying to jobs, those people that are interviewing us or the employers of a company, we often look at them kind of in a different position than just the person. When, as you mentioned, they have families, most likely they have different needs and they recognize in us that we're also people too. Granted, they have a business and there's a purpose to what they're doing, but they're not kind of some figure off in the distance that doesn't understand, you know, what day-to-day life is like. Right, right. So keeping that in mind, we're interviewing with humans and it's, it's going to be fine. I we keep, keep coming back to that. It's just, it's going to be fine. Now, you give a lot of really good advice about this interview process. I feel like you're really insightful and you're really aware while you went through this and you documented it really well because you have a blog and the first sort of batch of posts were really following you through that process. And I think it gives us all really good insight as people who 
either have applied for jobs or are going to apply for jobs about kind of some of the dynamics that maybe we're not considering. So tell me a little bit more about Devoted OT. Yes, so I started Devoted OT, as you mentioned, when I was going through that job search process myself. Um, I was really finding that I was looking up interview advice, I was looking up job search advice, but depending on the field that you're in, whether it's engineering or the medical fields, all of those things, that process is very different. So a lot of the advice that I was reading wasn't necessarily helpful for me specifically as an occupational therapist looking for jobs. There was some out there, but not as much as I really would have hoped to find specific to OT. So I decided to create this blog. And really, you're right, my first few posts go through the job search process, the timeline of that process, as we talked about a little bit, some interview tips for that process as well. Um, so all of those things, really the goal of it is to be there to help other OTs going through the same thing. Um, I just wanted that resource to be there for others because I felt like there could have been more out there for myself as well. So I really do hope that it helps some people, even if it's just a few people to start, I really hope that that can help, you know, some of us fellow OTs in that process. And that's kind of the goal of this mini series too. I encountered a lot of OT students at the AOTA conference. When I asked, actually, I didn't even have to ask. A few of them, after finding out I had this podcast started, a few came up to me and said, we need to know what this job application process looks like. It's scary. We don't know what to do. And it's not something that's always covered in academic programs because there's so much else to cover. And they said, please help us with this. And of course, my job application experience was a little bit different. So my goal here is to kind of gather different input. So I appreciate that you're already doing that. So now hopefully we're adding a little bit to the sort of body of information and resources for people. And I'm absolutely going to share Devoted OT on the blog so people can easily access your site and read some of those really helpful resources. Since we were going through that process at the same time, I really enjoyed reading those along my way as well. And they were kind of encouraging to read that I wasn't the only one thinking these things or having these sort of questions. And so your answers are really helpful. Thank you. I am so glad that they could help you. So as you mentioned, you're right. The majority of my posts in the beginning were about that job process. And now that I'm through that, I'm kind of trying to go through my OT journey a little bit in that. So the next set for anybody who wants to check out what Miranda mentioned, um, my next set of blog posts are really focusing on some advice for the beginning of your job, whether that's making sure you gather the resources you need specifically for pediatric OT, but in any field, um, making sure you have your resources, making sure you reach out to your mentors and get that advice that you need. And there'll be plenty of other topics in there talking about what was really helpful for me when I first started my job and first, you know, tried to navigate what it meant to actually be an OT in the real world. What would you say is kind of your vision for your blog? The vision for Devoted OT would be to help individuals as they go through that initial journey of becoming an occupational therapist. So because I am still new to this myself, it really is that preliminary beginning of the process. But as I myself get more experience, I do want to branch out into 
that pediatric field of providing intervention resources, ideas, collaborating with other OTs on the blog, even of what ideas are you using? What can I be doing? Because when you get out there in the field, it's exciting and it's new, but eventually you kind of run out of new ideas and fresh ideas and getting those from other people can be, can be really helpful. I've personally used a lot of other blogs that have helped me in the process, kind of coming up with ideas and just staying on top of current, you know, evidence and research and ideas for, you know, my clients as well. I think that would be really helpful. And there's lots of blogs, lots of podcasts, all these resources for OTs, but I feel like there can never be enough. <laughs> there, there, or I should say there's never too many resources because we're like, we're all exchanging ideas. And now we have these platforms that we can more easily exchange ideas on. And so, you know, you're getting advice from other bloggers and people are looking to your blog and thinking, hey, that's a really great thought I didn't have before. And so this awesome exchange of ideas, even if you're the only new therapist in your practice or even if you're in a rural area and there's not a whole lot of people who are actively maybe growing in their practice or whatever your situation is, it's like we have such easy access to this. Um, and I just think your the resources you're providing are so helpful and are going to continue to be helpful as people kind of follow your journey and are kind of alongside you for their journey. Mm -hmm. Thank you so much for that. Um, I think, as you mentioned, there really are so many resources out there. And I personally, before I started this journey myself, I didn't even realize what was out there. So I hope that more and more people are really made aware of these resources because so many people have great blogs out there that I've read. And you've had many people on your podcast that have blogs themselves that are trying to reach fellow OTs and just support one another. And that's a really exciting thing that, as you mentioned, we have access to now. Mm -hmm. I also think that because there's more and more resources out there, some people are deterred maybe from developing their own or thinking there's already so many things out there you know what can I really offer all of these OTs but as you mentioned there can always be a need for more resources and everybody has a very different perspective so I would definitely encourage as many people as are interested to you know get in contact and in communication with the community that's online and if they have some ideas and interest in making their own blog they should definitely try as well. Amen. I feel like there is just such a fear of starting new things. I feel like I talk about this on every single episode, but I think we always think there's more barriers to entry to anything than there really are. We kind of create barriers for ourselves. It can seem like there's a lot of people doing this. I don't really know if I need to be doing this, but if it's something you want to do, then there's probably a place for it. And you're only going to find out if there's a place for it if you try. And that can even start with commenting on, other people's blog posts, getting involved in conversation, making connections, and, and using those people as resources. So I'm just curious for you, what have been some of the most rewarding aspects of being a blogger? Yeah, for me, my favorite part about it really is those comments that you get from the community, um, the community of readers that you have and of, of viewers or listeners in your case that you have that are dialoguing with you and participating with you in your blog or your podcast, as we mentioned before, that's really a big reason that we do it. We want to share resources and we want to be a part of this OT community that we have. Um, so for me, some of the blog posts that I've, or the blog comments that I've gotten that either talk about how it's been helpful or ask me questions or even ask about future blog ideas, that has really been the best part is just 
connecting with the OT community. That is kind of why we do it, right? So that's the best part when when the people you want to share a message with are responsive to that. So you are the devoted OT, right? And you're working full time. Tell us what's next for you. So I am actually going to be going back to school for a little bit of time. Um, I'm going to be doing an OT doctorate program. So I'll be doing that doctorate program kind of in place of a full-time clinical position. Um, But I do plan to continue to be active with the Devoted OT blog in, you know, kind of past that, past that education and past the next stage in my OT career. I'm not fully sure what's next for me, whether I'll go back into pediatric outpatient right away, whether I'll enter a different setting, become more involved at a university. I'm really at this point open to any door or opportunity that opens. I am at a point where I just want to learn more and be flexible with, as I'm learning, with what interests me and what intrigues me. So moving forward, I just, I'm excited for the opportunities that come their way. As we mentioned earlier, OT is so diverse and so flexible that I can view the future of my career with this level of what's next for me and just being open to what comes my way. It's exciting and a little bit nerve wracking, but very exciting. And I'm excited to see what you do next because I know it's going to be great. Now, if people want to reach out to you, you've already mentioned your blog is called Devoted OT, but tell us how can we find your blog and how can we reach out to you if other listeners have questions for you or really something about what you said today resonates with them? That's a great question. So my website is devotedot.com. It's it's a very simple website. So if you type that into your browser, that will take you right to the blog. Um, in addition, my email is also very similar. It's devotedot at gmail.com. And I am really just beginning the process of creating a Facebook. So I do have a Facebook currently, um, and I'm working towards a few other social media platforms, probably Instagram and Twitter. Right now, the blog and email and Facebook are the best ways, but hopefully very soon Instagram and Twitter will also be something that will be available for you to communicate with me. Well, we will absolutely be out on the lookout for the new resources you're going to have posted on all those platforms that you mentioned. And as you start posting on there, you know, we'll kind of spread the word because I think you have a lot of resources that are going to be important for people of all stages on their career, really. Um, So we're excited to see what you do with that. Yeah, please feel free to reach out to me and tell your friends. (laughs) Now, I have to ask you because this is OT Uncorked. Tell me a little bit about what you're drinking. So I have a Chardonnay tonight. Um, I will admit that it's not a fancy bottle of wine. So I think it was probably the cheapest bottle in the store. I think <laughs> I think it's the Fish Eye brand of Chardonnay. Honestly, like I've said before in this podcast, it's a grassroots effort and we 
drink whatever wine we have. And <laughs> that's okay. I also got one of the cheapest bottles on the shelf. I am drinking an old vine garnacha. <laughs> it's called Lot Series. Um, and this specific bottle is Lot 17. It's, you know, since it's a garnacha, it's from Spain. It's a 2016. And I'll be honest with you, it's not my favorite either. But it's okay. Um, it's kind of, it's, so it's a red because it's a garnacha. But it kind of has this, like, sparkling wine kind of taste to it. It feels a little bubbly on the aftertaste, which I'm not a huge fan of in a red, but if you are a fan of that, or if you're trying to transition to reds, this might be a good starting point for people who like a white wine. I will say that yours sounds much fancier than mine based on your description. I can assure you it's not. <laughs> <laughs> they always have this this large fluffy description of the smells and the hints of fruit in the wine. I think mine said that it was an apple pear with a hint of vanilla. However, I will say that when I am drinking it, I typically do not taste those hints of fruit. <laughs> Maybe we're just not sophisticated enough. <laughs> Probably not. Thanks for being on this episode, and um, we'll keep an eye out for what you're doing as the devoted OT. For listening to this episode of OT Uncorked. For access to the resources mentioned and to add your voice to the conversation, visit the resource blog at otuncorked.com and leave a comment. If you enjoyed this episode, share OT Uncorked with a friend, leave a review, and hit the subscribe button. Cheers! <laughs>